At this time, KCICFM invites you to join us for our weekly live broadcast of Pear Park Baptist Church. Tonight we're going to be in the book of Philippians chapter 1, and uh, this is just a kind of a special message uh, on this special day, and uh, we'll get back into Zechariah, Lord willing, next week. And so here we are, we're in the book of Philippians chapter 1, I'd like to read a big part of this chapter for us. I always think it's important to read Scripture. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and Timotheus, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace be to you, peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are all partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. In this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, and that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. But I would, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren... In the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ of envy and of strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. The other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And therein do I rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I wot not. For I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Father, thank you for the passage. Lord, the book of Philippians is just a precious gem in the word of God. Lord, it is all good. But the book of Philippians is so concentrated with the, with the work of Christ. And I pray that as we look at it tonight, that your Holy Spirit would take each one of us, Lord, that I could be your vessel uh, to communicate the word of God, that these people that are sitting here would be vessels to hear, and that your Holy Spirit working with the word of God would, would take effect. Lord, guard from anything that shouldn't be said, and Lord, encourage everything that should be said, and help folk to hear what they ought to hear. And so, Lord, we pray your blessing tonight on the Word of God. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
There is, in this passage of Scripture, if you look in verse 6, the word confident. There is, in verse 14, the word confident. There is, in verse 25, the word confidence. I want to talk to you about confidence in Christ. You know, I reflect back, Pastor Larson came in 1974. Um, I was right on his heels. I was just a teenager in the youth group. Well, not even in this youth group, but came to the Christian school here in 1975, October of 1975. And so I've been connected with the church really ever every since then. 1980, I joined the church. And, I, and I've watched. It's a lot of years. Um, member here 40 years, but have been connected and watching things for longer than that, for 44 years. And I have to say this, I, I think things have changed over the years. Um, I can remember coming on staff here, just the, the enthusiasm about the work of the Lord. I mean, we didn't have, there weren't very many buildings here. We didn't have, this building wasn't here. Um, we had the, the 1950 auditorium, which is the fellowship hall now, and then we had the, the wing uh, that was there, and that was it. And this building wasn't here. They did build, I think, in the, in the late 70s, they built um, the Votech, what we call the Votech building. And I can remember sitting in Pastor Larson's little, little office, which is now my cubbyhole where I study. In that little office, you know, we're all there knee to knee. And, and, and we're, talking about, we're talking about things like, believe it or not, television stations and hospitals and, and ministry. And, and it just, it, it, was a, it was just kind of a wow. What is going on here? Started a Christian school, started a radio um, you know, there were just the buildings were just packed with people. Uh, I can remember teaching a Sunday school class. I taught, the, I taught the, the senior high Sunday school class when I was a college student. We probably had 20, 20 high schoolers in there. And Mr. McGinnis was teaching junior high. He had about the same over there. And then we probably had just about that many college kids. And we were all crammed over there. I mean, just things were busting out the seams. And, uh, you know, they, we did start... This church started a Christian school, started a radio station. Um, Pastor Larson, even if you probably don't know it, but he had a television program for, for a number of years there. The, the, the local TV station gave him the, the closing at the, um, at the end of the day. I think it was like 1 in the morning. They would air Pastor Larson. He would go around town. People would, would say, oh, hey, you have, I've seen you before on television. You know, anybody that stayed up that late. And, uh, but uh, it was an exciting time, and it wasn't just here. The same kinds of things were happening in other churches around the country, Faith Baptist in Longmont, Silver, uh, South Sheridan Baptist Church in Denver. And, and over the years, I've, I've watched, and, and things, things aren't the same. I don't know exactly why. I would guess maybe just the effect of just the society that we live in. Uh, the, the advancement of technology to the point now where it's just always with us, um, the influence of the, of the government schools, um, a heathen society, uh, Hollywood and, and all of that kind of industry and just what kind of influences it's had. Um, it has affected Christianity. It has affected the openness of people in a certain sense. I mean, there's still people, the fields are still white to harvest, but... but there is a, there, it, sometimes you, you know when you're getting into hard ground. 
And, and as a pastor watching over these last 25 years and then the 13 years before that as a youth pastor, just watching and dealing with people, I'd have to say this, that um, I, I think things are, are more difficult. Uh, we, there was a day in Pear Park Baptist Church, and I, and I don't say this critically, I just, I just, it's just a reality. There was a day where most of the families were with a nuclear family, a mom, dad, and they had the children. There was no divorce. There was no broken. There was very few broken homes, um, and and a lot, even a lot of the parents had you know a lot of Christian teaching. Maybe even were Bible college graduates, and it was just a, there was a certain strength in the ministry because of all of that. There was a day when the majority of of the of the people. Uh, the majority of the membership, far majority. I mean, it was almost it was almost unusual if it, if if somebody just came to one service a week. I mean, in other words, everybody everybody came to all of the services Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. It was that's just the way it was. It was like that for for many years, but I can't say it's quite like that tonight. We got a great crowd tonight. We had a great crowd this morning. I mean, it just gives me goosebumps. You know, it's just. It's so encouraging. But it's not just Pear Park. It is, it is this, this, whatever you want to call it, coldness, unbelief, um, discouragement, if you will, has crept in to so many churches in so many places. I think about things like this. Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will wax cold. Or um, when the Lord comes back, will he find faith on the earth? Or a passage like, you know, they, they don't, there's no love for the truth. And, and they, love, they love pleasure rather than they love God. And they won't believe the truth. And so it's easy for... It's easy for pastors, it's easy for Christian workers, Sunday school teachers, people doing the ministry and even just the folk, you know, maybe who aren't even doing ministry much. It's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to have a certain skepticism about the work and the hand of God. Pastor Larson used a verse of scripture this morning in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. It's, it, it is, as it says in that passage, it is God that worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And oh, to see the working of God. You know, you can have, you can have a situation like I had just recently. Someone come to know Christ as Savior, and then a week, a week later come and, and sit in my house and just tell me, you know what, I'm not sure I want to go down this road. And, and they're, 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 the stumbling block for them was that they had, they had grown up in a different religion and, and, and this whole decision they could see was beginning to, would, might pull them away from the religion that they had grown up with. Well, don't let that discourage you. There's a lot of that kind of thing that happens. There are those, though, that are here tonight that have not too long in the past trusted Christ going on for the Lord. That's good. So there's encouragements and there's discouragements. But I love the spirit of the Apostle Paul 
in this first chapter of Philippians, and I want to talk to you about just his spirit of confidence in Christ and the ministry. It's easy for us to get to, to, to look around and have situations come along and get discouraged and get skeptical about whether or not the Lord works. But I want you to see what Paul says in this first chapter on five different areas in just the encouragement. And I want to encourage our hearts tonight with the work of God. So take a look here and see in this passage, we're going to look at five different things. And the first thing that I want you to see Paul's confidence in is he talks about this confident Christianity. It's first in his, you see it in his praise, verses three through five. Look at his words. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. What a spirit, this spirit of praise. So thankful. He says, I thank my God. And the tense of the, of the language here, present active indicative, it's a fact. He's thankful. It's in the present tense. I mean, he's just thankful all the time. By the way, that's, that's part of being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Be thankful. You know, there's that passage over in the book of James. It says, grudge not one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. And that word grudge back in James 5, 9 is talking about groaning over the brethren. Hey, have you ever groaned over the brethren? you just like, ugh. Not Paul, not here. James chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Speak not evil of one another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. And then again, he talks about judging and, and the judge. Not Paul, not here. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. As he reflected back on these Philippians, he's so happy and so glad. By the way, this whole book, and I preached a message on it years ago on on the rejoicing that is in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 4, chapter 1, verse 18, verse 26, chapter 2, verses 16 through 18, chapter 2, verse 28, chapter 3, verse 1, verse 3, chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 4, and those are just some. He is rejoicing. Oh, by the way, did I, did I remind, can I remind you? He's been in prison now for just about three years. Two years, he was just left to rot in Caesarea. Then he took that boat trip across the Mediterranean, shipwreck and all, and he ends up in Caesar's palace in the Praetorian, with the Praetorian guard waiting to see Caesar, Nero. And he's full of joy. He's full of gratitude and thankfulness. And he says in verse 4, he says, Always in every prayer of mine for you all, I, I thank God in every, all of the time for you as I'm praying for you and I'm remembering God in thanks as I pray for you. He hasn't given up on prayer. Mm-mm. He believes in what Christ has done in their lives. And he's praying for them all the time. You know, we are needy people. We need to pray. We need to pray now like we never have had. And Paul's a praying person here. And uh, he goes on to say here in the passage, as he talks, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making a request with joy. Present Again, present participle. He's just always doing this. He's always making requests with joy. What a spirit. 
And here's the specifics. Verse 5, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. First day. First day of what? Well, first day when the Philippians got the gospel. Remember back in Acts chapter 16 what happened? It was 10 years before the book of Philippians. Paul is now writing to the Philippians from jail. 10 years before this, he is in Acts chapter 16, and they were there certain days abiding in the city of Philippi. Philippi was a Roman colony, and um, Paul was there evangelizing. Silas is there with him. And they went one day down to the riverbank where they knew there was prayer. There was a little prayer meeting down by the riverbank. And they go down there and there's some women down there. And they begin to talk to them about Christ. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 16 verse 14 that, the, that they listened. They, they heard the apostle. That's encouraging. When people listen to the gospel, so encouraging And the Bible says in verse 14, there was a certain woman named Lydia which worshiped God. She's kind of like Cornelius. She's a God worshiper, but she's not saved yet. And the Lord opened her heart, whose heart the Lord opened. And she heard the gospel. Listen, that's that's the work of God. When God opens a heart, when people's ears are open... And you know, you might not feel like giving the gospel. Sometimes I don't feel like giving the gospel, to be honest. I'm just being real open with you. And God gives an opportunity. I told you about the one fellow. I was just just sitting in my office just trying to get some work done. And I get a phone call. And the guy on the other end of the line, his name was Aaron. He says, hey. He says, is this a pastor? I don't even think he said this is a pastor. It's been a number of years ago. He says, is there somebody there who can tell me how to get saved? Well, you better be ready when you get those phone calls. You won't get them very often. And let him to the Lord over the phone. Um, It doesn't always work that way. But God opens hearts. And God opened Lydia's heart and she got saved. And she immediately wanted to help the work of God. That's encouraging too. They were like zero to 60 right there. She says, if you've judged me faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. I mean, she's pushing on. You need to come. You and Silas need to come. She was was a woman of means. She had a large household. And she had places of accommodation for these. And and here she just gets saved and, and, and baptized. And now she wants to help. Can you see why Paul's so thankful? It's 10 years down the road. And he's thinking about this. But that's not the only person that got saved there in that town. You know how Paul and Silas end up in jail because they cast the demon out of the demon-possessed girl and they're in jail and it's midnight and they're singing singing praises to God at midnight. Don't you love these kind of people? It doesn't matter if they're in prison. They're happy. They're thankful. God sends an earthquake and I shakes that prison. The doors open. The jailer... Wakes up, he sees that the doors are open, he thinks his prisoners have escaped, and he grabs his sword. Here's why he grabs his sword. I'm, he's thinking, you know, I've got I to keep my prisoners, but then he sees the doors are open, and he thinks, you know what, I need to kill myself because my prisoners have escaped. He's suicidal. I've talked with people who've been, who, who've been this close where they've had the gun at their head. And I've talked to more than one. 
and God has spared them. I've even talked to one that pulled the trigger and God spared them. Listen, this man was ready. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And that very night, that man, that jailer, took Paul and Silas to his house. They washed their stripes. He listened to them preach the word of God, and he got saved. And he got baptized that night, too. Woo-hoo! Verse 33, he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straight way. By, by the way, Paul didn't have a lot of contact with the jailer. One night only. The man got saved. Got baptized. Next morning, Paul and Silas are on their way. God's good. Paul's writing 10 years later, and he said, Well, I, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you um, from the, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. What a wonderful thing. And now he's writing to the church of Philippi. There's bishops, there's deacons. Chapter 2, verse 12, it talks about their obedience. Chapter 4, he's talking about their fruit, where they had supported him. They were the only church out of the ones that he had started that would, were actually sending support to support the Apostle Paul. So he is so thankful for the fruit in their life. Listen, we ought to get a different perspective. Uh, we're not in jail yet, right? <laughs> and uh, we'd like more time with some people. Sometimes you lead somebody to the Lord, and that's the last you see of them. Um, I used to try and keep track of names. I, I, I've quit doing it. Um, there's, just, there's just too many people. And it, but, it, but it's fun to go back and look at some of the ones, and you know, you talk to this one and gave them the gospel, sowed some seed, and, and this one, you sowed some seed, and then, and then this one trusted Christ. And it's so, it's so exciting to see what the Lord's doing. His harvest field is like that. One sows, another, another may reap. And so there's confidence. You see his confidence in the Lord's work and the praise that he gives. You see his confidence in the Lord's work in his persuasion. Verse 6, that well-known verse, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. He is, he is confident in the good work that Christ has done in the lives of people when he has saved them by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, when a man's born again or a woman's born again or, or a child is born again, it is, it is a work of God. They become new creatures. And Paul says, I'm confident that he that began a new work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. I'm thinking of some, someone right now that one of our folk had an opportunity to lead to the Lord not long ago. And, and my prayers for that individual... It's just a child. But I'm thinking, I don't know how much contact we'll we'll have with that child. But I'll tell you what. I'm like Paul. I'm confident that God's begun a good work. He's going to perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we get to see the working of God in a life. That is wonderful. Sometimes you don't. But we we trust the Lord and we keep sowing the seed. You know, he says in verse 7, even it is meet for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart and as much as both of my bonds and in defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are all partakers of my grace. Not literally, not of my grace, but because of the word partaker, which means a, a 
joint partner in. You're a joint partner with me in grace, is literally how it should be, be translated. You're a joint partner with me in grace. Wow. The grace of God is powerful. That supernatural working by which he, he works for, to bring men and point them toward salvation and then strengthen them. Six things, real quick. Number one, by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's by grace that we're saved. Number two, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul talks about the grace of the ministry that was given unto him to preach the gospel to, to the Gentiles. Ephesians 3, verses 7 and 8. By the way, Ephesians 4, verse 7 God's given grace to you to be able to serve him too. So there's grace for salvation. There's grace for service. There's grace for sufficiency. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. He is able to make all grace abound towards you that ye always having all sufficiency and all things may abound to every good work. God gives the, what is needed so that we can do what's right. There's grace for strength. Number four. He... His, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Thank God for the weak times. That's when God's grace steps in and gives us the strength to do what we need to do. There's that prayer, Lord, humble me so you can use me. That's a hard one to pray. But listen, we want, we are like, we want to be like Paul. Lord, I, I, I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Grace for strength. There's grace for success. First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10, he says, By the grace of God I am what I am, but I have labored more abundantly than they all. And that was by the grace of God. Grace for success. Grace for separation. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. He says, The grace of God that brings salvation has, has, teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. He had confidence that Christ was going to take these people and, and grow them. Because the grace of God is for them too. And the grace of God does some amazing things. You know, we had the jail ministry representative. Sergeant Roundtree was here. The chap, a couple of chaplains were here. And uh, one of the dear ladies that works with uh, that is filled in now and in, in taking taking care of some of the ladies that uh, Francis took care of in the in the jail and the Larsons took care of in the jail Francis and Pastor, um, you know the jail work is there's a certain side of it that's that you could be very skeptical and discouraged about. But there is the work of Christ that is taking place in the hearts and lives of those people. And we can't see the whole big picture. We ought to be like the Apostle Paul, that we are confident that what the Lord has begun, he's going to finish until the day of Jesus Christ. And even with that neighbor, I'm still encouraged. I know if he made a genuine trust in Jesus Christ, God's going to work in his life. I know that that little child, whether or not we see that child anymore, that God can do a work and, 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 and work in that child's life. I know that that young person up at camp that just recently trusted Christ, if, if, if they made a genuine decision for Jesus Christ, that work is going to be completed in his day. And some of you sitting here, 
Christ, all of you sitting here, Christ is still working in our hearts. So, confidence not only in, in the persuasion that he has, this, that he's persuaded that, that what Christ will do, but confidence in his, in his praying. You see the confidence in his, in his praying. Verse 8, God is my record how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. By the way, the basis for his praying is his affection for these people. Greatly yearning for them, greatly yearning upon them, just loving these people. So he prays for them. In the bowels of Jesus Christ is his heart of Christ for these people. Back in the book of Ephesians, when Paul saw the Ephesians, that they had faith and love, he started praying for them. Listen, when we see Christ doing work in, in people's lives, it ought to motivate us to pray. Don't give up on prayer. You look in this passage, verse 9. This I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and all judgment. His praying's on an assumption that they love Christ. You love Christ? Well, what about that new believer? You think they love Christ? Well, if they really understood what Christ did for them, you bet they do. You know, um, prayer, prayer for, for, for the believers for the saints, for the new believers, is like watering a plant. We used to have live plants in the church. And every lady in this church, I think, that had a green thumb wanted to go water those plants, make sure they were being taken care of. And, they were, and we just were having a hard time with that. We were having water puddles everywhere and then, you know, yellow leaves and the whole works. And so we got plastic plants. I'm sorry. I like real plants myself. I have real plants at home. My wife takes care of them. I don't. But, um, you know, if we were all plastic plants, yeah, there's no need for prayer. You don't need to water them. But listen, when a person trusts Christ, there's life. There's a need for prayer. And Paul prays for these people, just like Epaphroditus does over, Epaphras, I should say, over in chapter uh, 4 of Colossians. He says he's always praying for the Colossians that, that they would stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. We ought to always be praying for one another. There is a need to pray. We ought to be praying for one another that they would grow in the things of the Lord. His prayer is based on an assumption that they love God and on the appeal that they would, that they would grow in knowledge, in love and in knowledge and in discernment and make right decisions that Jesus Christ would be seen in their lives. None of us are perfect. But someday we're going to be examined by the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to be like those who are sincere, without wax. And, you know, they take those old, those, those, Rome, those, those marble statues, and if there was a crack in it they wanted to hide, they would take wax and mix it with the marble dust and, and smudge it into the crack. And, and get it with the right consistency so it would make the crack disappear. But if you took it out in the sunlight, you could see the discoloration and you knew that wax had been put in. And if there was one that without wax, it was sincere, without wax. And the Greek word here where it talks about sincere, it's the word heliokrinos. In other words, it's judged by the sun. Listen, we're all going to be judged by the Son someday. We, we, we have a lot of room to pray for one another. 
He's confident in what in his in his praying. He's confident in his persuasion. He's confident in his praise, and he's confident in the preaching of the word of God. Take a look in verses twelve through eighteen. I would that you should understand, brethren, that the things that have happened to me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. That's his cause, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ would be spread. We have a motto that was chosen early on by Pastor Larson. Sorry, Pastor, for me keep talking about you, okay? But at least I uh, hope your ears aren't burning. But um, um, They chose a motto, holding forth the word of life. Comes right out of Philippians chapter four or chapter two, verse sixteen. Why is that? A, why is that such an important motto? Because it's the word of Christ. It's the gospel that saves people. It's the the words of life that people need to hear. It's not your persuasiveness. It's the word of life that makes a difference. Get them the word. It's like somebody you know falls over a boat and they're drowning. Help! I need a lifesaver. Somebody throw me something. Here, let me give you a Pepsi, buddy. No, I don't need a Pepsi. I need a lifesaver. Oh, here, here, you know, maybe you need a coat. You're probably cold out there. And we seem to want to throw people everything but the word, the gospel. They just need scripture. The word of life is what will save them. Holding forth the word of life. Paul didn't back off of that. He wanted to further the gospel. He wanted to get the word out. Verse 14, they speak the word boldly. That's his cause. There were some conflicts with it. Really? People would put you in jail for preaching the gospel? Just given the good news about Jesus Christ, you go to jail for that? Yep. Paul did. (coughs) He's not the only one. There have been thousands down through the ages that have given their lives to preach the word of Christ, just giving the gospel. There's going to be some conflicts. There'll be bonds. Sometimes there'll be brethren conflicts. Yeah. Verse 14, many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ of envy and strife. I don't get this, but it's true. Some people were envious of Paul. Some people were contending with Paul and contentious with Paul. You remember, all that were in Asia at one point turned away from Paul. That's just hard to believe. But they had a problem with Paul, and they're, and they're fighting with Paul. And they're preaching the gospel to just turn up the heat on Paul as he's, as he's in prison. And they're preaching the gospel. One preached Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds. But there's the other, the other of love, knowing that I'm set for the defense of the gospel. And look at Paul's response. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and therein do I rejoice and will rejoice. He says, you know what? I still believe in the gospel. It doesn't matter what their motives are, but if they're preaching the gospel, I'm rejoicing the gospel being preached because it is the word of life. Don't lose confidence in the word of life. We need to be confident Christians in our praying, in our praising, in our persuasion, in our preaching, realizing it is the gospel that saves souls. And we sow the seed of the gospel. But there's one more. In verses 19 through 26, 
He says, I know that this will turn to my salvation through your prayer and supply of the Spirit of Christ according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be shamed, but with all boldness as always. So now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or death. Paul's purpose, his purpose to live for Christ. So confident in it. He says, I'm going to live for Christ. Verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or back in verse 20, that Christ would be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. <coughs> he wasn't going to back off of Christ. Christ was going to be his purpose for living. That would be life or death. It's going to be Christ. It pertains to his boldness. He's going to be bold with this. It pertains to his body, life or death. It pertains to the brethren. Verse 24, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. My purpose is Christ. And if, it's, if, if Christ wants me to stay here for you, to minister to you, that's what I'm all about. Having this confidence, I know I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. Paul knew that there was still a work to be done. Listen, his purpose was Christ. His preaching was Christ. His praying was Christ in them. His persuasion was that Christ would complete the work. And his praise was, was praising God for, for the work of Christ in their life. Listen, we have a wonderful ministry. Let us not be discouraged in the work of Christ. We may be in bonds someday. But let's be confident with Christ and His work. There's no reason why we can't have a day like some of the days of the old times where, you know, they're baptizing 50 people at a baptismal service. Our churches are busting out the seams and they don't have a place to put people. We wait on Christ. We preach Christ. And we serve Him with all that we have. Like the motto, like the verse, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Father, thank you for your word. I do pray in the ministry that we would not become discouraged, but Lord, we would be encouraged with Jesus Christ. Lord, his day is coming, a day in which we'll stand before him, a day in which we'll get glorified bodies, a day in which we'll be judged. And Father, all of those that have heard the word of the gospel, that have been saved, that will be our joy in that day. Lord, help us to live for that. Help us to live to bring souls to you and to live for Jesus Christ. And our actions and our words, our spirits, may it all be Christ. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our weekly live broadcast from Pear Park Baptist Church. We pray the service was a blessing to all our listeners. Our earnest prayer is that you personally have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Romans 6 and verse 23 tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Romans 10:13 tells us, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'd like to trust Christ, you must first believe that you're a sinner, deserving of God's judgment, and that Christ died to pay God's penalty for your sin, and that he rose again from the dead then you may right now pray and according to Romans 10:13 call upon God and ask for salvation through Jesus Christ if you've made a decision to trust Christ let us know 
The number of the offices at Fair Park Baptist Church is 434-4113. Someone's generally available to take calls during regular weekday business hours. In addition, the best means to spiritual help and growth is through faithful attendance at a Bible-believing church. We would encourage you to be at the very next service of Pear Park Baptist Church. Our weekly prayer meeting and Bible study is at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. Sunday schools at 10 o'clock a.m. Sunday mornings with the worship service at 11 and at 6.30 p.m. the evening service. Pear Park Baptist Church is a fundamental Bible-preaching and Bible-believing church located here in Grand Junction at 3102 E Road. And once again, we appreciate your joining us for this live broadcast of Pear Park Baptist Church.